It's the moment you've all been waiting for. The Forum at 8 with Sakina Kamwendo on AM Live. The Forum at 8 with Sakina Kamwendo. Eight minutes after eight and welcome to it. And let me just give you the numbers that you can get in touch with us. 891 That's the call-in number. You can SMS us on 34701. Tweet or Facebook AM Live on SAFM using the hashtag AM Live. Well, this morning on the Forum at 8, we're going to unpack some of the key findings of a survey that was conducted by the Ethics Institute. The survey released by the Ethics Institute has warned that while there's been an increase in the awareness of corporate ethics codes in South Africa. There's been a drop in the number of persons reporting ethical misconduct. The global economic situation and poor performance of the local economy are also some of the reasons for this. The report also states that South African companies invest fewer resources in improving their ethics performance and as a result, ethical business practices are not embedded into corporate culture. And joining us for the discussion this morning, Professor Dion Rousseau, the CEO of uh, the Ethics Institute. Uh, He's in our Pretoria studios. Thanks for your time, Professor Rousseau. Good morning, and it's a pleasure pleasure to join you this morning. Thank you so much. And we also have uh, on the line to us Nkosi Kulule, Nkosi Kulule Nyembezi, a civic society convener for the National Anti-Corruption Forum. And uh, the forum is headed by the civil society and also includes government and business. Thank you so much for your time this morning. Good morning, Sakina. Thank you for inviting me. Uh, thank you for giving up your time. Now, perhaps a good place to start, um, Professor Rousseau, would be to look at what do we mean by ethical behavior? What does that constitute? Uh, <clears throat> ethical behavior is about how you interact with other people according to certain standards. So whenever we talk about ethics, we always say it's about the golden triangle of the self, the good, and the other, meaning that you are ethical when you don't only consider what is good for yourself and balancing that with what is good for others. Now, If we take that just into the context of business and we start talking about business ethics, then it's about your ethical standards that will determine how you treat all that you interact with. And that would include your own staff. Uh, It would include your shareholders, your clients, your suppliers, the communities in which you operate, and, and also the natural environment within which you find yourself. So it's really not not um, pie in the sky. It's about certain standards that prevail or don't prevail in your organization. And Kosikulule um, Nyembezi, how would that differ from a business ethics, or does it? Well, I think they just complement uh, each other because uh, the purpose is really to ensure that there is good um, business practice. And because business interferes with business, it interferes with government, as well as with the ordinary person on the street, uh, all of that needs to ensure that there is good business practice. Professor so what is the relevance of ethics in business? Well, one can put it as simple as that, that ethics can, could be the factor that determine whether you exist or you don't exist. Um, ethics is at the heart of, of all human relationships and uh, any business consist of a set of relationships. You have relationships with uh, the providers of capital in the form of banks or 
creditors or shareholders. You have uh, relationships with your own staff, with your suppliers, with your clients. In other words, a whole network. And what makes that network going and makes it sustainable is that people treat each other in a certain manner so that there is trust. The moment that trust breaks down in any organization, things start to, to stall. And it is for that reason that, that ethics is at the heart of this, the, the success and sustainability of organization. And if you just look at what happens uh, in the case of a scandal, um, there that, that trust simply breaks down. And as a result of it, people start uh, alienating or people get alienated, turn their backs whether it's shareholders, customers, uh, suppliers, uh, your own staff. And in that sense, it's absolutely essential to the survival of any business. So is there anyone in particular in a company that would be responsible for business ethics? Yeah, we we see more and more um, right across the world, but also specifically in South Africa. In in South Africa, the emergence of of a new quasi-profession, which is called the ethics officer or the ethics manager, and if you go to any of our, our listed companies, you would find not only an ethics officer, but an ethics office. In other words, a, a team of people responsible uh, for the ethics of the organization. Um, at the Ethics Institute, we have a training program where we train ethics officers and certify them uh, through the University of Stellenbosch Business School. And and the, the, the job of an ethics officer in an organization is basically to ensure two things. Uh, number one, that people are familiar with the ethical standards of the organization. And in the second place, that people adhere to it. And then on the basis of that, uh, the ethics office or officer need to monitor uh, the performance of the company as far as its ethics is concerned. And now with the new Companies Act, who introduced uh, social and ethics committees as a mandatory board committee, they report that to the board of directors through the social and ethics committee. So that would speak to um, a sort of in-house policing mechanism of ethics um, and ethical behavior, if I understand you correctly. Yeah, I would uh, be hesitant to to, uh, use the word policing. Um, I think when you think about compliance uh, and compliance officers, I think they are often seen as as a policing function. We believe that uh, your ethics office uh, should be responsible for building an ethical culture. In other words, um, ensuring that people can identify uh, with the ethical uh, standards of the organization, that they appropriate it, make it their own. Um, Because what we've learned over the years is that if you have an ethical culture based on fear, in other words, you do the right thing as long as someone is watching, uh, it's it's not sustainable because you simply don't have enough policemen in your organization to watch. And uh, a mentality very quickly developed that says what is not forbidden is allowed. So you don't really uh, cultivate a sense of ethical responsibility in your staff if it's if it's merely f- driven by fear. And what uh, what we see in organizations with strong ethical cultures is that the, the, the members of that organization believe 
in the standards. They believe that it's in the benefit of everyone involved if they stick to these standards. In other words, it's it's acting more out of conviction, doing the right thing even when nobody is watching. And, and that is what we believe the ethics office should promote in, in companies. And um, is there a difference then between business ethics and ethical business? Nkosi Kululu Nyembezi. Did ask that question again? I'm asking, is there a difference between business ethics and ethical business? Well, uh, they go hand in hand, yes, because uh, business ethics is what needs to guide a good um, uh, business conduct. And uh, I, I think um, it's, it's a good thing that um, this, this, study was, this study was undertaken because we need to measure uh, in terms of how people are conducting themselves in order to uphold uh, this good business conduct. Because also in some areas, this is self-regulating to then say companies need not collude in order to get uh, tenders. Um, but also they are also on the other side where it's regulated by, by government, it's regulated by law, uh, where there are penalties uh, and, and criminal offenses that can be made for people who are, who are not conducting good um, business ethics. And in fact, in terms of the, the fear, I also support that point that people should not just tick boxes and say we comply with good ethical standards, but uh, they must do that um, driven by the will to ensure that the environment is the one that supports good ethics. In fact, fear should be based on the reality that whoever is doing something wrong is going to be caught, is going to be reported, and after being reported, there are going to be action is going to be taken, in terms of prosecution and sanction is going to be imposed. It should be that fear of that reality which serves as a deterrent. Professor Rousseau, let's come to the report itself. Now, uh, first off, the survey looks only at corporate South Africa, yes? Yes, we, we also did a, a separate survey uh, last year for the public sector, but, but this survey that we are talking about this morning is, is one geared uh, solely at, at uh, corporate South Africa, at, at the private sector, at mainly listed uh, and, last, and large companies. And um, for this specific survey, we surveyed uh, 4,795 um, employees of listed and large companies. And I think what makes it um, interesting is that this is the fourth uh, of these surveys that we've done. We basically do it roughly every three years. And uh, as a result of that, it's possible to make comparisons because often a finding in isolation doesn't tell you too much. It's only when you start comparing it to previous findings that you can see upward or downward trends. Mm. So so just talk to us uh, through some of the uh, more pertinent findings of your survey. Um, if we start on the, on the downward trend, it is, it is quite clear if we compare the 2016 survey with the 2013 one that uh, we've slipped or corporate South Africa has, has slipped in some regard. And I think it's as a result of, of less spending. We, we all know that we are in tight economic times and uh, often spending on the so-called soft issues are the first to go in, in such circumstances. And as a result of that, we see that there's less ethics training, there's less awareness of uh, hotlines, uh, there's less awareness of ethics management uh, compared to 2013. 
And uh, also on the negative side, we see that there's a rise in the number or the percentage of employees who observed misconduct in their organizations, but then there's a decline in the percentage who are willing to report observed misconduct. So you can see all of these is sort of uh, almost a domino effect. You you start mm. ne- neglecting uh, awareness and training, and as a result, uh, um, all the other things follows. But then on the on the upside, and we are really grateful <coughs> that it's not only a gloomy picture, but that there's also a positive side. We see that there was a quite substantial increase in employees. Uh, uh, attention to to the interest of clients, uh, so-called client centricity has increased. We also see that there is uh, greater concern being shown by employees for the communities in which they operate and for the natural environment. And and our informed guess is that this is uh, a direct result of the introduction of social and ethics committees. Um, as you know, the new Companies Act um, in 2012 introduced mandatory social and ethics committees for listed and basically all large companies. Um, so this is a subcommittee of the board who has to look after the, the social and ethics performance of companies. And because they are looking at it, management has to report on it. And in order to report, you need to do something about it. So I think uh, where we've seen sort of a, a vicious cycle uh, with the economic downturn, we can see here much more of a virtuous cycle uh, in terms of the functioning of social and ethics committees who now put the social and ethics performance of companies on the board agenda whenever the board meets. And just looking at the report on the corporate uh, um, of uh, the public sector last year that you mentioned, if you look at that and this, how do they compare? Um, Well, at at the moment, we we haven't released that, that public sector survey yet, so we have completed it, but we are not in a position yet to to discuss that. Because it's interesting uh, interesting, when we talk about corruption, when we talk about a lack of ethics, it's usually pointed at the public sector as if the business sector uh, is in no way involved in it. And uh, we usually focus on politicians as if businessmen, you know, are also ethical and are never involved in anything uh, that may be unethical. So uh, just a comment on that from you. Well, it's probably the biggest myth, uh, if it ever if ever was a conviction. Uh, there's there's no such thing as that corruption is restricted to, to public servants. If you just look at the nature of corruption, there's always two parties, and it's most likely that the second party, if the first party is from the public sector, the second party would be uh, from the private sector. And it's also a myth that the initiative always starts with the corrupt public servant. It's very often the... The, the corrupt business person, um, <clears throat> who the tenderpreneur or whoever who takes the initiative and and try to to bribe um, a public servant uh, into doing what is wrong. So, but but I think that is something that has been recognised uh, quite some time ago that that it is a myth that corruption is something restricted uh, to the public sector. And if we think, for example. Uh, of the United Nations Global Compact that was introduced by uh, previous Secretary General Kofi Annan. Um, Already 
two years after he announced that in 2000, in other words, in 2002, he added a principle that calls specifically on business not to be involved um, in corruption and to play their part in the eradication um, of of corruption. And also if we look internationally at, for example, the United Kingdom's Bribery Act or the Foreign Corrupt Practices Act of the USA, they, they target specifically um, corruption, bribery, facilitation payments in the in the private sector. And um, uh, you've had opportunity to go through this report as well. And what stood out for you? Well, what stands out uh, is really the reasons why people um, are not reporting misconduct. I mean, to see that um, uh, some uh, of the respondents are still unfamiliar with reporting mechanisms points to the need to popularize um, uh, the mechanisms that are available to conduct rights education and and to constantly engage the, the employees in terms of how the mechanisms work, uh, including the issue of anonymity and, and assurance that steps will be taken um, when they report the conduct. Because also there's uh, another reason that say someone else will report misconduct. So it does point to the fact that if there's 12% or more of people who see misconduct and they don't report it because they think someone else will report it, it talks to the tolerance uh, levels um, of, of misconduct that people have. So all of those things need a, a different mindset, and a different mindset can be reached through uh, popular education. And we also know, in, even in terms of the public sector, that uh, for whistleblowers it is very difficult because uh, of the, uh, the number of avenues that someone can use uh, to report information. And because there is lack of coordination uh, of those um, uh, avenues, it is something that needs to be taken care of policy-wise to ensure that uh, we streamline the process of, of reporting and make it as less painful as, as possible for anyone to report. And uh, on that, um, Professor Rousseau, did you get a sense that uh, there was tolerance of you know, unethical behavior? And also, um, I meant to ask you this question. Thanks for bringing it uh, back up, Kosikulule. Um, the whistleblowers, because you spoke about uh, the fact that the number of people reporting unethical behavior has gone down. Uh, did you have opportunity to interrogate the reasons for that? Yes, in, uh, in, indeed, we, we've done that. Uh, so, so we followed it up whenever someone indicated that they observe misconduct. We asked them, so did you report it? And if they indicate that they haven't, we asked them for the reasons for why they haven't reported it. And there are two reasons that stand out head and shoulders above the rest. And the first one is fear of victimization. In other words, they fear that if they report it, they will get targeted. In other words, the messenger gets gets shot instead of being listened to. The other reason why people indicated that they, they stopped reporting or they weren't willing to report is because they they were of the conviction that no effective action will be taken. In other words, they see it as a senseless exercise. And I think, uh, along with what uh, Nicosia has just said, there are three very important things that you need to do if you want to ensure that your reporting system works. And the f- first is, if you promise confidential, uh, confidentiality, that people will remain anonymous, you need to be very sure that you 
you can deliver on that promise. In other words, it must be safe to report anonymously. And secondly, you must be seen to be doing something about that report to provide some form of feedback. But then, as Nikosi, uh, I think, very rightly indicated, you also need to educate your, your staff on how your reporting systems work, what the channels are, what they are for. Because we so often see in organizations that we work that the whole reporting system is, is paralyzed <coughs> because people use it for the wrong reasons. Uh, and, and you get uh, malicious reporting and you get people using the, the reporting line in order to get to colleagues for example, when they are in a race for promotion. So that educational component uh, is very, very important. And just taking a look at uh, some of the messages coming through, but also uh, the lines are open, 0891-104-208. And uh, here are some of those uh, that you've sent. Kakisha Bueng, uh, back to that perception we were talking about earlier, says no noise is made about corporate greed and corruption in South Africa and uh, those border on ethics as well. So so what is your view on this, um, uh, Professor Rousseau? When... Kakisho says that no noise is made about corporate corruption in South Africa. That perception also exists. Well, I, I, I find it hard, but uh, hard to believe that uh, no noise is made because I read so often about scandals in which companies are involved. Uh, we know about the collusion, for example, in, in the building in, in the construction industry, there's there's almost on a daily basis news about um, organizational wrongdoing. But people. where in the paper does that usually reside? Because if it's a public official, very often it's on the front page. It's the lead story. Well, if it's if there's a big scandal uh, relating to say. Uh, the construction industry that was on the front page of newspapers for 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 weeks, if not uh, if not more. If you think about the MTN, if you think about the Volkswagen, uh, all of these things um, catch ca- um, catch the the, the headlines um, in the media. Uh, so um, it it is there. If it, it's an open question, and there Kahisu might be right. Do we see enough of it? Um, well, uh, that is debatable, and, and um, but I don't think one can see, can say that there's no noise. There, there definitely is noise, and it's not tolerated. And especially when consumers are affected, they they are very quick to to voice their concerns. And of course, then it's also up to the media to echo those concerns. We're talking about uh, corporate ethics codes in South Africa, unpacking a report by the Ethics Institute. It's your favorite time of the morning. The Forum at 8 with Sakina Kamwendo. Favorite time of the morning on AM Live. Thank you so much for tuning in. And this morning we're unpacking some of the key findings of the survey uh, released by the Ethics Institute about corporate ethics in South Africa. And uh, our guest this morning, uh, Mr. Kosikulule Nyembezi, who's a civic society convener, and National Anti-Corruption Forum, and also Professor Dion Rousseau, CEO of the Ethics Institute, who's in our Pretoria studios. 891 uh, Just before we get to the calls there, let me just read a few more messages. 
Ventures. Uh, uh, Steph Gareth says, in the absence of ethical leadership, corruption thrives. Look at the SOEs and some political parties. Uh, Katide Masobove says, so uh, so-called civil societies policing all white institutions that do not service change uh, but indifferently report on it. And then Walter Louis uh, Ryan says, uh, how ethical is the alcohol and refined food manufacturers, the consumption of refined food alcohol causes lifestyle diseases. And then Warren Manning says um, companies must comply with the letter and spirit of South Africa's constitution and relevant legislation, not more bureaucracy. Increased diversity and ethics will improve. No more old boys clubs. And Sipo um, Mente says uh, SK, can you ask the prof um, to rate ethical behavior behavior of um, MPs in Parliament or public servants. That report, uh, Prof, has indicated about the public sector has not been released as yet. But uh, let me also just take a call and then I'll uh, pass it to the panel to answer some of those. Hassan Logat in Lanasia, good morning. Morning. Uh, Sakina, I was quite keen to ask the Prof about which uh, listed companies in the mining sector he was dealing with before I asked my question. Professor Rousseau? Yeah, we, as part of, of uh, participating in this survey, we, we give, as it's normal with all surveys, um, both companies and individuals the, the assurance that it's confidential and for that reason we don't disclose it. That's normal practice for, for surveys. Yeah, well, <clears throat> I mean, this is part of the problem because I work in, the, in this particular sector and uh, the past few days we've issued a media release against a big corporation which uh, we think uh, is causing harm to a local community, and uh, many of the newspapers don't want to cover it. But, <clears throat> but the real issue I want to ask about is about the leadership coming from the top of these corporations, because if the company has a strategy that, that lies, that externalizes the costs, for example, it allows dirty tailing dam water to go into people's rivers or the homes are cracked, if that is part of the business model, which most of the capitalist companies are, Clearly, the employees can't be found guilty for doing this work because it's part of the company project. And how do you evaluate that? Um, I could not agree more with you. If there's one finding that we consistently find over the many, many surveys that we do, both for companies but also these more general public surveys, it is the whole issue of, of leadership commitment. If there's no tone from the top, nothing will happen. You can have the best systems, you can have the nicest words on paper, codes, policies, structures, hotlines, uh, uh, integrated reports, sustainability reports. It means nothing unless there's a real commitment by, by your leadership. As, as part of, of this uh, survey and the analysis of the data, we, for example, went to the two companies in the survey that had by far uh, the, the strongest ethical cultures. And what we found there was, was uh, a number of factors, but the number one issue that came out is this strong leadership commitment to ethics uh, in those companies. Uh, and as I said, that is no surprise. There are also a few other things, and, and let me be clear about that, that as important as leadership commitment is, that's not sufficient. You also need other things. And the other things that we picked up in these companies with strong ethical cultures is, for example, there's clarity about the standards of the company, about what is acceptable and what is not acceptable. Then those standards are communicated 
and people are trained. So these companies make sure that their staff are familiar with it. We also find uh, in those companies that there's much less pressure on staff to compromise those standards and that ethics actually has become part of the performance appraisal of employees. So the question is not only ask what have you done, but attention is being paid to how you are doing it. And and I think it's a combination of these things that build a strong ethical culture. But just to underline again, it starts with leadership commitment. And then what does that mean exactly, a leadership commitment? Because if someone is found to have acted unethically, what are the consequences for that? I think there are two sides to the coin. <clears throat> the one side is if if someone has done wrong, there should be consequences. But more importantly, there should be it should be applied consistently. The moment that there's a different set of rule for the big fishes and another set of rule for the small fishes in the in the company, then you make a mockery of of your your commitment to ethics. And that is why we see and and, and just Monday when we had our annual conference uh, in Ilovo, uh, one of the, the, the one of our prominent leaders uh, they told a story about how a person on the executive was caught stealing something small, but it led to immediate dismissal, and and that's the type of thing that we see. But I think if you want to build an ethical culture, your focus should not only be on 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 dealing with those who do wrong; it should be equally on dealing with those who do right and giving recognition to those people um, because it is by reinforcing certain positive behaviors that we build an ethical culture over time. So when people do the right thing, we should also tell about that. And and those people should get the, the recognition and it should be considered when people are promoted. Um, so you don't build an ethical culture by focusing on unethical conduct. You you build an ethical culture by dealing very uh, 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 directly with unethical conduct, but even more so by by emphasizing the right conduct and rewarding those who do the right thing. And hopefully leading by example. Um, Absolutely. N- Neil Smith in Durban, good morning. Good morning, man. Hi. Please switch off your radio, Neil. All right, it's off now. Can you hear me? Clearly. Thank you. Yeah, I think uh, listening to this interesting conversation is, is intriguing in the sense that I think corruption, which has been around for thousands and thousands of years, will never really disappear regardless of strong management. It takes a form in so many different grey issues. For instance, if a manager takes another manager to lunch and he spends a lot of money on that lunch or they go away on holiday, he doesn't actually put money in his hands or purse, but he is creating a relationship build which might be at the detriment of perhaps other competitors there. Uh, that's a form of corruption. I think I think most people generally accept mild forms of corruption as being reasonably acceptable, but where it becomes a real problem is when it becomes out of hand. For instance, when somebody builds a toilet in the middle of the bush for three million rand. Now, that is serious corruption, and I think that's the kind of thing that people should be looking at. Man. That's just my input. Thank you so much, Neil. That's uh, Neil Smith in Durban. Uh, Gerald is also in Durban. Good morning. Hi, Sakina. You know, I'd just like to take up the point of this perception that uh, people in the public service get a, a, a raw deal in the, in the press. 
you know, not anyone, no, no one in the press is interested in publishing stories on the on the buyer at the municipality or the SABC who got caught giving his friend business at a lower level. But there's definitely a difference between people in the private sector and people, and not people in the public sector, senior public officials who are crony appointments and politicians who have been elected on a ticket to help the poor or they've all got some sort of social cause that they get elected on, whether it's here or worldwide. And then you find out they are beneficiaries of major corruption. And we can simply take the toilet tender that was issued in the Eastern Cape. See, uh, 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 politicians' families benefited from that uh, uh, tender. And Grady Mantashi would thought it was quite fine for, the, uh, for, for members of the family to be in business with the state. We can take the, the issue of the, um, the, the uh, NPA at the moment. The NPA finds themselves on the side of the defendant preventing someone from being prosecuted in court. It, it's just ludicrous. There's a total difference between politicians, ordinary public servants, and the private sector. Is there really? Because there is an interface there that you cannot uh, totally ignore. And as, as Professor Rousseau was saying earlier on, very often it is the private sector uh, um, uh, component that would initiate the sort of behavior. Yes, but no one in the private sector and business goes to members of the public and say, please can you put set me up in business. They do it through hard work or however they do it. They set themselves up in business. They don't go to the electorate with a ticket to say that we're we here to serve you and help the poor. Neither does the ordinary civil servant. He goes there for a job. It's a different. It's a different kind of corruption when it takes when when politicians who've who've been on, especially elected on a ticket to help people do it. Okay, that's. Um, who do we have there? Uh, well, it was Gerald in Durban. Uh, let's go to Clarksdorp. Uh, Timothy, good morning. Good morning, ma'am. Uh, my name is Timothy. Uh, yes. Now I'd like to briefly speak on politicians and politics in regard to uh, ethics. It's very much important that politicians play a critical role in changing the mindset of people because politicians are in powerful positions and whatever they do or say can help the people on the ground. Because if we elect someone in a, a certain position in a company or whether it be in government, we expect that person to protect us because if you are a person on the ground, you are not able to protect yourself when you uh, uh, report such uh, unethical behavior or, or, or such things. And uh, it requires a new breed of leadership. You know, people who are uh, able to go against the grain, who are able to, who, who, who want to sacrifice their lives to go against unethical behavior. Because remember, money is involved in unethical behavior. There is a lot of money that is involved, whether it be government, whether it be private sector, and let us keep in mind, unethical behavior and ethics, it's a topic that has been there uh, historically. If you look at our companies, we are not saying they, are, they, are, they were 100% beautiful or, or they were well-constructed. It, it's a historical issue, but now it has changed. The dimension has changed. So it requires a new breed of leadership and uh, political leaders to assist us on the ground level. Thank you so much, uh, Timothy and Clarkstop. Uh, Christopher, you're in Joba. Good morning. Good morning. Thank you very much. Um, I'll try and be brief. I always find that the discussion around ethics when we discuss business is such a... Actually, it's, it's 
it brings uh, a laugh because if one really looks at it, what we are dealing with is business as it is constructed today is fundamentally based <clears throat> on an exploitative system. So in other words, you have people who have money, employ other people, and the value of the work that they do, that value goes to a single individual or a small group of people. So at the, at the heart of the business relationship, there's an un ethical relationship. It's based on an unethical relationship. So I always laugh when we talk about ethics in business because how does one construct an ethic on an unethical business? You know what I mean? So there is at the heart of this, if you really want to be talking ethics, then you must talk about why does the CEO get uh, 13 million rand a year and the worker gets uh, 500 rand a month? You know, those mm -hmm. are the there are fundamental questions that one should be asking because otherwise you're dealing with an unethical, uh, you know, you, how do you construct an ethical uh, premise? How do you construct an ethical discussion on an unethical basis? That, that for me just doesn't, doesn't work at all. Okay, thank you so much. Uh, that's uh, Christopher in Johannesburg. Let's get some answers. Nkosikulule, uh, good morning. Let me give you the opportunity to respond first. Yes, I, I'm, just, uh, into, uh, I'm just curious that uh, a lot of people are encouraged um, uh, by the results of, of this study. And I think the number of questions that have been posed demonstrate that we are faced with a multi-pronged challenge. Uh, small business, medium-sized business, and, and, and big businesses. But I, I also think that there is a lot that we can learn out of this report in terms of what we call good practice. Why, how do those who are succeeding, how do they implement things? How do they change the culture? I think it's something we need to let on. And then some of the questions that were raised by um, our listeners, um, you know, and, and I thought Christopher's question was a very good one. When we're talking about ethics and values, and uh, maybe if you want, you can get into uh, maybe looking at uh, the difference there and how this impacts on the whole discussion. But um, if you have a value system that is ethical, why then would you see such great disparity in um, income when a, in any given company, for example? Um, well, I think it's the capitalist forces that are at play there in terms of how issues of salaries are determined and also especially with these um, incentives, bonus incentives, because if you see from the results of the study as to from which direction is the pressure to act unethically come from and some they say it's because of the unrealistic targets that are put on them uh, to, to reach sales and, and all that and that leads to the bending of the rules and that, so I think the, the money issue and uh, monetization of the performance and this competitive culture especially uh, in this environment of uh, depressed economic times uh, you'll find that uh, some of the uh, companies may may just uh, overlook the issues uh, of ethics, and I think the discussion on this is something that we need to 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 to, to ensure that the things uh, the issue of ethics remains on the radar screen. And I think the more uh, the, the peer review mechanisms in terms of companies doing business with one another 
there should be those safety valves to ensure that uh, ethics are complied with, uh, uh, so that we do not we act in concert in terms of promoting this, in terms of uh, building the mindset instead of leaving it to individual volition. Professor Rousseau? It's a it's a very interesting question, and I would uh, the one thing that I would warn about is demonizing anything, including business. Uh, I don't think there's something unethical in the nature of business. Uh, if we go back as far as we want to in history, when you exchange something that is of value for you. Uh, for something that is of value to another person. In other words, there's an exchange and both parties benefit. I don't think there's anything unethical in that. But having said that, that does not mean that business, there are not a lot of unethical business practices. And being from the Ethics Institute, we work with that on a daily basis. We do ethics risk assessments for companies, and we are only too aware of, of how creative people are when it comes to doing wrong, also in business. But in that regard, business is no different from a school or a church or a sports club. Uh, you would know that also in the most noblest of institutions and the noblest of professions, we get unethical practices. So I don't think we gain anything by demonizing any specific thing. Although I would immediately add that there are some forms of businesses that can be regarded as unethical if you look at what's the impact of the service or the product that they put on the market. Um, one of the, the, the issues that Christopher put his finger on that is, of course, currently a, a huge issue is the issue of remuneration and, and fair remuneration and uh, the ratio between uh, remuneration at the, the middle or bottom levels of companies compared to those at the top and at at what ratio is are, are those differences uh, still acceptable, and when does it become excessive? Um, but but that's what happens with unethical issues. They become the focus of debates, and we start focusing on them, talking about them, and then we see corrections. And I think that relates back to what Neil said, that we often sit with gray areas um, in business and also in, in, in other f institutions. And the only way to address them is to bring them to the surface and start talking about them. And it's only through that conversation that we start making progress over time or that we put pressure in order to ensure that it does not continue into the future. But uh, doesn't it raise an interesting question of uh, those ethics committees that sit in companies? Why wouldn't they look at something like um, the income disparity in wages? The, the mandate of the Social and Ethics Committee is, of course, determined by the Companies Act. And in the Companies Act, it's not part of their mandate, so they don't look in it. But that is no excuse. Uh, let me also say mm. that immediately, because the Social and Ethics Committee remains a subcommittee of the board, and in that sense, the board can give it additional responsibilities uh, to look at other things. I think uh, um, a positive development that we've now seen is in the draft of the fourth uh, King Report on Corporate Governance for South Africa, because if you look at the third principle there that deals specifically with uh, social issues, They've added two things to uh, the mandate of the Social and Ethics Committee. Of course, this is, these are recommendations. It's not law. Uh, but the two things that they add was responsible tax practices 
And the second thing is fair remuneration. And I think that's an indication that this debate that is going on has now reached the level of of our primary corporate governance guidance document in South Africa. And hopefully when it's released on the 1st of November, it will still be there. We're going to take a short break. When we come back, I want to touch on the issues of uh, ethics and corruption and, um, you know, what the association is between those two. The Forum at 8 with Sakina Kamwendo on AM Live, turning the spotlight on the big issues and the people behind them. And this morning on the forum, we are unpacking some of the key findings of a survey by the Ethics Institute. Our guest, uh, Professor Dion Rousseau, and uh, also uh, Mr. Nkosikulele Akulule Nyembezi. And I just want to ask this question, uh, but let me get to Neil's um, question first. And some others have also asked it on the social media platforms. Ethics and corruption. Is there some sort of correlation between the two? Well, absolutely. Um, If we say you are ethical when you don't only consider what is good for yourself, but balance that with what is good for others, corruption is a case of where you say, well, I don't care about the others. I'm going to enrich myself and I'm going to abuse my position in a dishonest manner in order to enrich myself. So in in that sense, um, yeah, corruption can almost be seen as, as the opposite of ethical behavior. And uh, then uh, just a final question uh, for you, Mr. Nyembezi. Um, what are the major unethical behaviors and attitudes in corporate South Africa that you've observed? Well, uh, I, I think it's, uh, when it comes to uh, extracting profit from uh, the poor, uh, because we know that a lot of South Africans receive uh, social grants and now uh, you'll find that um, uh, some of the, the data of uh, the recipients of social grants is disseminated amongst the uh, businesses who sell insurance, who sell uh, some products and make um, uh, deductions on t- and the pension payments. Uh, and so it, it's very unethical because uh, that kind of data that is provided there is supposed to be safeguarded and because the people in that uh, at that level of income and it's not even income they receive grants they're not supposed to be vultured on by uh, businesses i find that to be very unethical and in fact even the refusal to desist from that, that conduct such that civil society organizations have to go to court have to pressure government in order to get rid of that conduct it just shows that uh, people will go to extremes to be unethical and to extract profit Janine Ogle says uh, there's corruption in business, government and politics, and I still don't know uh, who privately funds uh, the political parties in South Africa. And then also just from Fanaboy Msibi, who says, uh, what is the point of reporting fraud if no one is ever jailed? Who was jailed for the stadium's price fixing in 2010 and uh, the bread pr- uh, price saga? And Spiwe Dubandela says, 2010 World Cup construction cartel, that's an example of a private sector's stealing from taxpayers um, on the forum at eight. So, Professor Rousseau, your final thoughts? No, it it is absolutely so important that that we are at a crucial stage in South Africa where we we need people to to speak out about this, where we need leaders in both business but also in civil society, in the public sector, but I think very specifically our politicians to, to, to show some ethical courage and start doing things differently because it's, not, it's a gloomy picture that we see at the moment.
to our guest. Uh, thank you so much uh, for speaking to us this morning and, of course, looking forward to the release of the other report as well. But I think, you know, we should be talking a lot more about ethics and ethical leadership and what that exactly means. Um, but again, as one of the callers also rightly points out, what's the point if there seems to be no consequences? And uh, with that, thanks to our uh, our guest this morning, Professor Dion Rousseau. Uh, he's the CEO of the Ethics Institute and uh, Mr. Nkosikulule Nyembezi, who is a civic society convener for the National Anti-Corruption Forum. And to you and the production team, have a fantastic day back tomorrow at 9 o'clock.